sister rain has left and father sun is home brother wind comes blowing in to welcome home the gnome what's funny about when i met joff was actually in new york I'm sure I was gallivanting around Brisbane in the noughties the same time he was and never came across him. Randomly, I'm in New York because I, I went over there to study film scoring and did, we did a summer school. So it was great, this, this great school and then, you know, there's another Aussie, a couple of Aussies were there, but one in particular, Joff, and turned up and, uh, yeah, just really, you know, got on like a house on fire and... Um, and then, like, you know, he, he, he just kept getting more and more amazing gigs over here and just kept needing help and then... I kept helping him out and he has a lot of, you know, great composers who, who help him out because there's just so much music music to write. So it's, you know, an honour to and a privilege to work with him and, you know, share in some of the wonder. This is Bluey's Brisbane. G'day everyone, Justin here and I just love that story. Two Brisbane composers meeting up about as far away from Brizzy as you can get in New York City, hitting it off, becoming the best of friends and creating some beautiful music for the kids' show, Bluey. Uh, Joe Twist is one of the Bluey music team. He's our guest on today's podcast. You'd be familiar with his work on episodes like Calypso, Blue Mountains, uh, Veranda Santa and Seesaw, plus a heap of others. And he's got some great insights into how the Bluey music team put all the pieces of the Bluey musical puzzle together and come up with gold. Joe Twist is our guest today on Bluey's Brisbane. Today we're down here, maybe not by the banks of the Hanky Panky, although I can see the <laughs> Brisbane River just over in the distance there. I'm pretty excited to be speaking to one of the Bluey music team, Joe Twist, today. G'day, Joe. Thanks for having a chat. Thanks, Justin. Pleasure. Look, tell us a little bit about Joe Twist. Um, obviously, you're involved in the Bluey music team and composing you know, some of that beautiful music for the show. Um, tell us a little bit about Joe Twist and, and, and what you do away from Bluey as well. Well, I started out um, always wanting to do film music and stuff, but never really making it work or, or probably a better way to describe it is getting distracted, I suppose, or just finding other opportunities. Because, of course, with, you know, with film, TV, games, media... Um, unless you make it yourself and then you write the music, you know, you need to work with people who, uh, you know, create the films and produce the films and are, are um, creators in that way, are filmmakers and storytellers in that way. So I got distracted in particular though by being a bit of a choir nerd, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I went to UQ, you know, that was where I sort of, it all really kicked off. I mean, I, studied at school and got interested in all the classics and, so, and did, did all my MEB piano grades. And then I got really into jazz and pop and a bit here and there, although I think that was just me trying to be cool. <laughs> and then, you know, found, uh, particularly in Brisbane in the noughties, when I was at UQ and then I did my PhD, there's just so many choirs. There's a real tradition with um, uh, St. Peter's Lutheran College, Graham Morton's there and the, the Australian voices used to be there. Mm -hmm. So I would sing with them and I would write music for them. Um, and I suppose that satisfied my love of, you know, storytelling and music together in a sense because you are still painting a picture and you're still telling a story even with poetry 
or it might not be poetry that you use for, for vocal music, choir music, stuff like that. So, and also because I'm a singer as well. I played piano, but I don't know, I just discovered that I'm a tenor. Everyone needs a tenor in a choir. Got pretty good pitch, you know. I like singing with people. I like, I like, I love harmony. Um, yeah, so I fell in love in that way. But even there were, a, I've worked with a few directors on short films. I've done a lot of different short films. Um, but that was just sort of one-off things here and there. So a film never really took off for me in those days. And I really just, I suppose, became what you'd call a classical composer or a concert composer, contemporary art music composer. I don't really consider myself part of contemporary art music. I'm a little bit aside of that. But yeah, doing that and, and anything that, you know, is um, some kind of storytelling or, I mean, even if it's an arrangement of a pop song, I've done a lot of arranging and I had a cabaret band for a while. So yeah, look, I've done a whole lot of things, but um, I feel like it's always been with the desire and the passion for storytelling and matching, you know, painting pictures in a sense with music. Has that all come together in your recent trip to Adelaide and your opera? Because right. that seems kind of exciting, you know, bringing together your, your choral music, mm. your classical training, storytelling. I don't meet that many people who are writing operas these days. <laughs> um, is that where it's all kind of come together for you? I, well, it definitely was a... Um, like a perfect gig for me and that it, it married all sorts of things that I'm I'm into. Even though, funnily enough, I wouldn't say I'm that much of an opera fan. <laughs> I mean, I am. In fact, when I lived in New York, I had a boyfriend who was an opera singer and we would constantly go to the Met and and I've, and being a singer and, and um, working with choirs even, there are of course people who also delve into opera and other things as well. And I also used to, like I've mentioned, had a cabaret band for a while and that was working with pop singers and stuff like that too. Mm -hmm. So singing is part of it and storytelling in that way. But with this show, Watershed, it's called Watershed, The Death of Dr. Duncan. And that's right, it was a kind of culmination of so many things because not only was it singing and working with a choir and working with soloists and telling a story, and you know, a little bit political. Like, I'm don't always try to be political in my music, but I'm certainly interested in just the sort of narrative of Australian politics to a degree. Um, but that's aside from my, whatever I do on Bluey, obviously. But um, yeah, uh, so it was a combination. And also, it was directed by Neil Armfield, who is, um, you know, uh, probably Australia's greatest um, opera director, but also a very well-known filmmaker. He worked on, he made the film Candy mm -hmm. and Holding the Man. So even though it was a stage thing, it had the feeling of working on a film in a sense, but, the, but instead of, you know, getting a rough cut or something and doing your thing, it was like starting from scratch from the very beginning. It was really a great project to be involved on, honestly, yeah. And I know we don't get we don't dive into politics too much on this podcast, but uh, I, I did see on Instagram that you did have a famous Australian politician in attendance um, at the show. Is that correct? That's true. Um, yeah, Malcolm Turnbull turned up. That was which was you know com complete surprise. He was there on a night that I wasn't there because they, they sort of ran it for a bit over a week. And then he happened to post on Instagram about it, and so I thought, oh well, I'm going to have to say something. You know, so, thanks for coming. And then it turned into a like, oh, it's really great. Which should you know the show should he said the show should go far and wide, and, and he really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, I mean, my other foray into in sort of you know working with politicians or you know working for a politician was <laughs> although he was 
passed away, uh, when Bob Hawke's funeral happened, his state memorial at the Opera House, I did that arrangement of um, Down Under, the Men at Work Down Under. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I don't necessarily try to be political in my music, although choral music in particular, um, there is a sense, particularly in the last, I think, five or ten years, that new works have endeavoured to have some kind of social justice message behind them. You know, not necessarily overtly being political, and, and the best stuff is always art that is that, that lasts longer, that stands the test of time, you know, doesn't be dated by a particular political event. But, you know, it's just part of storytelling. I mean, there's, you know, politics, um, you know, it, it's part of our lives in so many ways. Um, so, you know, and I, I don't... I don't necessarily try to subscribe to a, a certain political point of view, although people might surmise as to what that might, might what it might fit into in some ways. But I just, um, you know, as, as someone who likes, um, you know, telling stories and, and um, uh, bringing messages to life through music, you know, you're always going to delve into something a little bit like that. I mean, anything does in some ways. Well, obviously, um, Bluey's a great vehicle for bringing stories to life yes. through not music. Not ones, but no, yeah. No, yeah. definitely not political <laughs> yeah. ones, but, um, you know, great storytelling and great, great writing. Yeah, and absolutely. And I, f- I really feel like the music complements, you know, not only the visuals but the storytelling in, mm. in, in the TV show as well. Um, we're sat down here in the shade at West End, very close to a couple of Bluey spots. Um, the Markets episode was set here and Seesaw uh, was set here as well. And yeah. You were involved in, in Seesaw. Hello, what's that? Pomeranian's a small but hardy breed. Come on, come on. Okay. Whoa, whoa, Bluey's just blown up in the last sort of 12 to 18 months all around the world. You know, you've won ARIA awards and the Bluey music team's won a Screen Music Award just recently. What's it been like jumping into this whole Bluey juggernaut in the last couple of years? Well, it's been educational in particular. It's really Joff is the genius behind the, the the musical world of it. But he is he is very quick to point out when you ask him about the music that he's just part of a team. Although he heads it up, he, he, he does. he's very passionate about there's, you know, a group of composers and songwriters and musicians that work alongside him. He look, he lets you be you, absolutely. And and he knows he wants that thing that you do in that in that world. Um, and perhaps in a sense, I, you, you realise that when you get to the end of an episode or even just like thinking about it a while after, because when you're in the thick of it, you know, you sort of, you sort of do your thing and you do your, your instinctual thing and then he brings you back to do something that, you know, that is totally you but is maybe a little bit like this and maybe sometimes a little bit what he would do but that's you know it's all there are crossovers and 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 different stuff like that so I mean and also I would say as someone who's worked in Los Angeles you know I've worked in Hollywood I guess in all sorts of different ways as sort of a ghost writer and orchestrator and stuff like that I know what it's like to work with teams where you're kind of this is what you do and you kind of have to sound like this and you sort of your personality is not um what they want but that's Definitely not the case with Joff. I mean, you know, if he doesn't think that an episode suits you or that, you know, or a scene or anything is, is kind of your, your, in your wheelhouse, then he, either he'll do it or he'll get someone else to do it, you know, and, that, and that's fine. Or even then he's also totally cognizant of, the, of the, the fact that composers, even though they might be um, famous or kind of known for a particular sound or a particular 
group of sounds, they can do a lot of other things too, you know, like, um, I mean, there's sometimes a sense that people sort of, they do one thing and everyone thinks, oh, they're always going to sound like that. And that's not true. So he's, he's also aware that, you know, people are, that there's breadth within within each composer and stuff like that. But he's right, you're right. It's, it's a collaborative thing too, because I'll get inspired by him and then he'll get inspired by me. And I mean, but it's, I mean, I suppose I say educational because... It really, I take my hat off to Joff because he's really given me some of my first serious film gigs, really. And even just the sort of technical part of it and the sort of creative, the sort of uh, collaborative, um, seeing how he works a scene with producers and directors and even the sort of the psychology. I mean, he's so good at like at perspective. Oh, let, let's play this character's perspective. Let's do this. Um, technique here, let's do this, this technique there, or you're, you're playing this too much. Just all that nitty gritty. It's not that it's like super technical. It's just that he he's got such a, a natural instinct for that kind of stuff. So it is absolutely collaborative. But I would also hasten to say it's it's very educational for me as well. So we're all being. <laughs> I mean, he's such a great guy. Of course, he would you know say that it's educational. But he does captain it. But he lets you be you as well. It's it's all wonderful. Um, we mentioned Seesaw. Some of the other episodes you've been involved in are Squash, hmm? uh, Calypso, Blue Mountains, uh, Veranda Santa. Um, has there been a favourite one to work on for you at all? That's a good question. I was actually thinking about that just last night because I knew we were going to have that conversation. I think it's probably Calypso, funnily enough, which is interesting too because I note that Joe Brum said that that's his favourite episode. Yes, I have heard um, that. And I think just because it, it, it's Calypso because I think that was an episode that my instincts... I think just happened very naturally. And that happened to just be really what they wanted for some reason. Calypso, can I please have a gnome from my village? Well, let's have a look. I think I loved well, it too because to it was this sort of continuous musical piece that just underscores the joy of playing. Mm, you know, when yeah. you watch that, you just, you really think, Oh yeah, when you're in school, like, and you're and you've got all these things you can play with, and these, and you can let your imagination run wild. It, it's, it's just such a it's such a nostalgia for that, and a and a curiosity and a, a freedom to it. I, you know, it's 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 a different episode to a lot of others, as you know. I mean, Mum and Dad aren't even in it. It's like it's one of those school right, episodes. Yeah. There's others like that too, I know, but I think early on that was one of those episodes, and I just loved that it that. It was sort of telling all different stories and cutting back and forth, but there was this, the music needed to sort of create a sort of progression like that. And um, yeah, I just remember, you know, um, going with the flow on that. And, you know, of course there was still lots of collaboration and, and touching up and, you know, it's such a high quality show. There's lots of finessing to do, which is great. But it just felt very natural for me. And I just, and, and you know, to go to what you were saying before about, you know, the collaboration with Joff, like, um, that was very much an episode two where I feel like he was like, do your thing, Joe, you know, really do your thing. And, and they loved it and I was thrilled and everything. So, yeah, I still like that one. <laughs> Sister Rain has left and Father Sun is home. Brother Wind comes blowing in to welcome home the gnome. 
the little song that Megan Washington sings mm. at the start of Calypso. That's actually one of my favourite bits in Bluey altogether. It's just beautiful. And uh, where did that come from? Because I know a lot of the music in Calypso is based on um, the Third Symphony by Camille Sasson. Yeah, that's right. Where did the little song at the start come from? This is great because going into the whole process of it and, and make him remember what, what we did. Um, interestingly, Megan and I have had a chat recently. She's working on some other stuff, but um, maybe I'll help her out with that sometime. <laughs> I've got a lot going on. But uh, she actually wrote that, really, her little thing that she hummed. I remember we got the video and it just had her humming in it and I even though the melody I wrote for the rest of it was closer to the temp closer to the the sasson or which, which actually was also the melody used in Babe by Nigel Westlake as well um, but I sort of altered it and made it my own in a sense as well although it's obviously you know inspired by it. but her melody I'm not sure if it's a some folk song I don't know if she just made it up I never actually asked her or got the uh, the you know got the lowdown on exactly where it came from. Maybe it's just some old folk song that she knows, and I, I didn't know that. But um, it, it's funny because it, I feel like it was almost like a counterpart to the Sasson in the sense that she was sort of singing it. So I feel like again this goes to this whole collaboration thing. I mean, even she's you know Megan in that episode is really part of the music team, so she sort of just improvised this thing, and that's great because it's her character mm. and it's in her voice. Uh, and then we also had the, the Sasson in there as well, but it was also the sort of babe version of it, so that was another version in a sense. And then I decided to sort of, I suppose, write a melody that was a combination of the two, which became a sort of whole new idea, but with the same flavour. And then when she's humming, so at, at the opening, when, you know, it's, how does it go? Um, Sister Sister Rainy. Sister Rainy, exactly. So she... Making me sing. Exactly, I love it. Um, so she hummed that and I wrote around, I accompanied that essentially. Um, but later on, once I'd written that melody, then we got her to hum my melody and sort of put that in because other bits, you know, before the whole big reveal of, of, yeah. of Honey's beautiful um, uh, gnome village. Yes, yeah. yes. I guess it was one of those kind of lightning in a bottle moments, really, by the sounds yeah. of it. Yeah, well, it, it starts to show just sort of how, how collaborative it is. I mean... You know, you, you're just sort of trying things. Like you, you've obviously got a ballpark, but you, you, you try different things out. And uh, and also, it, it goes to, to Josh Genius again too, like that he, he just had this sense, oh, I think this would work really well and this kind of flavour, it needs a sort of like a, a song that plays through it and sort of hits different things, but it's just sort of this song that plays all the way through. Magic is made, I guess, by, you know, different ideas, you know, minds working together mm. in that way, yeah. As a, as a classical you know, composer and arranger, and I kind of have some ideas on this because I'm a failed classical musician. I gave it all the way for rock and roll when I was about 18. Could do a lot worse. Um, <laughs> actually, I gave up music to become a drummer is the nice. real thing. So, you know, that's that's the reality. But um, uh, Still you know, a musician, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. <laughs> Joe Twist thinks I'm a musician. Absolutely. I'm a drummer, but that's great. That's great. Um, hey, um, uh, you know, as a classical composer and, and an arranger, kids are being exposed to music that they're probably not going to be exposed mm. to in a lot of their lives these days. Like mm. they're not going to hear Planets and mm. they're not going to hear Saint-Saëns and they're not mm. going to hear these kind of things. 
Uh, is it important, do you think, for kids to be um, exposed to, you yeah. know, especially classical music at a, a young age? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I came to it, you know, typical for my generation, being inspired by the film composers who weren't necessarily, you know, doing an arrangement of the planets or of Handel or Mozart or whatever. But John Williams was very much doing a kaleidoscope uh, compositional glossary, in a sense, of of those works, but in the service of you know telling those great stories and the whole Star Wars universe and everything. I mean, I, I, I suppose I came to discover them later, just because I had a keen ear and was like, oh, what you know, what's what's going on there, and you know, and and then you sort of wonder, and and sometimes you find out that it's true, a little bit like Calypso, that that thing John Williams wrote. Here I am comparing myself to John Williams. How dare I? But I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> but you, well, know, you can do that. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Joe Twist, the new John Williams. <laughs> you know, I copied a few parts of his on, on Star Wars. You know, years and years ago. But you know, as far it, it goes to, it's almost the same thing as Calypso. Like, um, it, it's known that a number of famous classical works were tempted in certain scenes in Star Wars, and then John Williams goes and does it. Does it? And you can definitely hear the influence in the way that it has sometimes similar orchestration, but it's still always sound like him like no matter what some people sort of used to be a bit of a um back in the days when i think people looked down on film composers sadly and even not long ago really it, it has changed a lot but they looked down on it as sort of a lesser art you know and oh it's not serious music it's all serving commercial purpose but, well, but the, the all the great composers had a commercial aspect to their, to their music because of course they, they did of course and look you know it's uh, i spent years in academia and um you know, when I finished my, my PhD, I just wanted to get out of academia. I mean, you know, not that I was really disgruntled or anything. I had a good experience, but there was still just this feeling that of, of a culture that um, looks down on, you know, music for commercial um, purposes or for media that isn't just sort of some sort of um, uh, highly conceptualized piece of art. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not. I don't think I'm creative enough for that kind of stuff personally. But there's still great creativity in working with people and creating something that is for that ends up on television. I mean, this is it, just because something is made for commercial medium doesn't mean it's not artistic and not clever. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, sorry, we got off the track a little bit. Um, we're talking about. I was talking about John Williams because of, of that, the way that he, I, 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 I mean, we asked you about being exposed to all these, um, all these uh, pieces like Holst, Mozart, uh, Handel. I mean, it's so important. Um, I suppose I discovered it slowly and there have absolutely been other examples of the use of them in, in, in children's um, television and movies. I think Disney used them a lot, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, Fantasia is the perfect example, isn't it, really? And it's great because it, it just, it, it continues that tradition in a new light and, you know, and, and it, it pays service to it as well. I mean, <laughs> it's funny also, though, how you, I think there's, you know, you hear classical music in some of the worst commercials too and sometimes they're they're sort of really butchered. But sometimes I think, yeah, I know it's butchered and it's a little bit, it seems crass, but the commercial is crass. At least they're still using that great melody that, that someone, you know, that a composer from, you know, usually a dead white guy, but, <laughs> but you know, that, that has stood the test of time uh, and, you know, it's, it's, that should continue echoing, really. So it's, it's, gr it's great to have them in something like Bluey where it's treated 
with love and respect. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Do you think Bluey is a bit of a game changer in terms of kids' music? Like I'm comparing to other kids' shows that, you know, my children watch and, you know, something like Peppa Pig, mm. you'll often hear the same themes and the same melodies and the same songs. Um, is Bluey a game changer where obviously each episode is thought of as its own little mm. mini film yeah. in and of itself? Yeah. Is it a game changer for how kids' shows are created and how they're scored? Whether it changes the game, I'm not sure, but it certainly changes the game definitely in the sense that this compares, this contrasts with a lot of other, um, particularly children's television. I remember going back and watching Inspector Gadget, which was one of my favourite shows. I love that shows. show. Absolutely. But, Classic but 80s. When, absolutely. But it's funny how I sat, I sat there watching it and having you know written a lot more music for kids' television lately, I sort of sit there and go, why is there no music in this scene? And, oh, they've just chucked in two or three tracks, all of which are genius, by the way. That's actually a great example. of At least all the music that's in it is good. But you can tell that um, for whatever reason, they just decided that they didn't need to score the whole thing, you know, or, um, or create a, a tailored uh, soundtrack for this one episode. But Bluey doesn't work that way. It really, like, that's a great way that you put it. Every episode is only seven, eight minutes and it's treated like a film and it feels like a film sometimes, you know, when you because we, we work on finessing it so much. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. But, um, you know, I, I, I hope I hope that does change does change things because it's it's always always a shame when, you know, you get this sort of feeling that, oh, it's because it's for kids, then, you know, let's not worry about it so much. Or, you know, you wonder if uh, there's that kind of attention to detail in, in all, all, all stuff created for children. Yeah, yeah so... Um, I hope it does does change things more. I, I remember talking to because I'm working on Joss Old's show, The Strange Chores, as well at the moment, um, and uh, we work with Daly Pearson a lot on that. Um, and he's, he's always talking about the episode being authored, and, he, and when he says authored, he means not just not just script. The script's written, as in the, every sort of element yeah, yeah. has like We've love and care. You've thought about it. Absolutely, you've thought about. It. You haven't just kind of like. Um, all right, well, it's written and then now it sort of goes on a conveyor belt and off, off you go. It's nice to, to have that kind of, you know, attention to detail in a sense because you feel like everything you're doing is, um, yeah, it, it's cared for. It's not just sort of chucked in and, and then kind of that'll do kind of thing, you know. But, um, but it, it, it can be quite exhausting as well, I will say. But, you know, when you, when you get to the end of it and you see what you've created, like even just thinking about even even episode like Calypso, like... Um, the first version compared to the last version. You sort of go, you know, go through all these changes and, and we, we finesse it beautifully and you sort of get to the end and you go, yeah, they really were great ideas, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was just thinking while you said, um, you know, you get to the end and see what you've created. Mm. I'm, in a, I'm in a dad's group. Um, it's, a, it's like a, almost like a dad's group combined with a bluey appreciation society. Nice. But almost like banded as the, the dad goals kind of thing. And, um, you know, grown men talking about yeah. how this episode of Bluey made them cry, yeah. made them weep. That's great. I remember when you used to take me swimming here. Yeah, me too. That was a long time ago. No, it was yesterday. Or how this episode of Bluey made me think about my emotions and stuff. Right. Like it's, it's really quite special. Um, it's no wonder that the show has done well in a sense, I just, just want to say too, because... Because they, they they think about that, it's you get the sense that they haven't sort of done the typical sort of, oh, this works, let's do that. 
they've thought they've gone well I assume I haven't really been there but I've seen the product obviously and I just feel like there's a real sense that they've been thinking we we could see what works but we could play with that or we could do a, a spin on that and that would be that would be even better you know and then yeah, created yeah. this you know great show so well look just quickly on you've been very generous with your time so mm. thank you um pleasure we, 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 you you just dropped in the little inspector gadget sort of factoid <laughs> there and you know the 80s reference yeah uh, you know a lot of those episodes we mentioned you know seesaw and calypso and uh, blue mountains mm. you've worked on um have had the beautiful sort of and veranda center i love the love the music in veranda center it's just Thanks. gorgeous um I've got that sort of beautiful um, classical or orchestral underscore mm. to it all. But then you've worked on squash. That's right. Um, and I hear a lot of, it's almost like a bit of a retro 80s kind oh, of yeah. synth um, vibe happening there. Yeah. Um, but what was that episode like to well, work on? That was, a, that was a real collaboration. That was a real pass the baton kind of episode. So all that, all that 80s retro synth stuff, that's Joff. You know, he's right, just right. a genius at that kind of stuff. I'm just not... I never really got into, I don't know, it's, it's, I'm not really, I'm, I love technology, but I, I don't know, I just, I spent so many years just being fascinated by how to orchestrate really well. I guess I just kind of got kind of pigeonholed into that world, which I don't regret because, because that's what people want from me these days, you know, and it's great people have their certain focuses, sort of like I was saying earlier on the collaborative process, like um, Joff knows that you did this thing well, so he gets you for that. Calypso is an example where, you know, I wrote the whole episode, but with Joff's kind of there guiding yeah. me. Yeah. Whereas um, Squash was an episode where that same thing happened, absolutely. But then other times, like, okay, you do this bit and you do this bit. And even discussions like, okay, what key are you ending in here? Or send me that and I'll, oh, whoops, whoops, you're in, the, you're in that key. I'll just try and bump this. You know, you kind of work in that way kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that's probably one of the most past the baton type episodes I've been on with, with Joff. Some others too, I think. Can't remember right now, but yeah, no, that just to, <laughs> I wish I could say that I, I, I did that kind of stuff, but no, that's, that, that's Joff's ballpark, yeah. <laughs> well, look, thank you so much for your Pleasure. time. Really appreciate the chat. And um, just, just finally, um, we've got new seasons of Bluey coming later this year. Um, what's coming up on your horizons with your music? Yeah, good. Uh, um, so um, we're... Getting to the end of, of Bluey season three, so we're working on that, which is which, which is great. Um, and then I'm, I've got to write a piece for Sydney Symphony. I've got a world premiere with them. Wow. Um, I don't know what I'm calling it. I've got some rough. I'm really in the sort of early stages, although I have to finish in the next couple of months. So I've got to write something. But, You're but in it's the funny. Sort of throw stuff at the dartboard. Yeah, pretty stage. much. Yeah. Um, the only idea I've got a working title, and it's it, the working title is "Ancient Lights," something to do with stars in this country. Right. That's a rough thing. But you know, it's funny how having written now I mean, the first version of, of "Watershed," the death of Dr. Duncan, that I did in Adelaide was. Um, there was a two and a half hour version of that <laughs> that then got to, somehow made into 90 minutes, pretty full on. Wow. Um, so the idea that I have to write a seven to 10 minute orchestra piece, I'm kind of like, oh, whatever. You know, <laughs> I shouldn't, I don't really mean, oh, whatever, but. Hopefully but the Sydney Symphony aren't listening to this podcast <laughs> that's right true. now. That's true. I don't mean it like it's, but it, the funny thing is it's like, the idea is the hardest part. Once you've kind of got the musical idea and a, and a, and a you know, snappy title, it just, off takes you care go. Of that's take care of it. Yeah, you know, takes care of itself. Like orchestrating ten minutes for me, that's 
not a, that's I've done that so much. It's not a problem. It's really just what is the music? What's what's it about? That kind of thing. So um, yeah, and then what else have I got? Um, apart from continuing to work on Strange Tours and Blue with, with Joff, I mean, there, there's more of that to come, and there's some more shows in the works. I can't say anything, I'm afraid, but there's some more shows in the works okay. from from Ludo, I believe. Nice little teaser there. Yeah, there you go. But I think I can say that much at least. But uh, so. You know, look, just an honor to to work with Joff and, and, you know, help him out whenever he needs me. But as far as real my stuff, there's SSO. And then I want to make uh, albums of my vocal music. I have so much uh, choir music, opera, that kind of stuff um, that I want to uh, get out there. And interestingly, one of, the ba- one of the big things I've been saying about my opera Watershed is that it's absolutely got moments of art in it but there's like Billy Joel, Pink Floyd, Lady Gaga, there's all sorts of pop stuff happening in there too. So I want to get it out there and get it to wide audiences, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks again for the chat, Charlie. Thanks Justin, much appreciated. Thank you. It's not how grown-ups work, kid. But it's how kids work. Then kids are silly. <laughs> <laughs>